guys wanted to talk about Black Widow, correct? Yeah. Yes. We've all seen it, right? Yes. Mary and I saw it today at the time of the recording. Sheridan, when did you saw it a couple days ago? Uh, last week. Last week. When we had to reschedule. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Reschedule the podcast. And then Seth, you saw it yesterday, correct? Yeah, we watched it yesterday. Okay. What were your first thoughts? What do you guys think? Like it, dislike it? I liked it quite a bit. Um, I thought it was really good. Some really interesting things. The characters Mm -hmm. were great. Um, Acting was great. Whoever plays her, I had her name and then I lost it. Whoever plays her little sister. Uh, Something Pew. Pew, Pew. yeah. Yeah. She was uh, in Midsummer, right? Is that her? I don't know. I haven't seen Midsummer. Oh, Midsummer's fantastic. I'm fairly certain it's the same actress, but she was great in that too. Um, I really liked it as well. I, I've been seeing a lot of mixed reviews for some reason. Um, and one of the movie reviewers that I really respect and enjoy following um, just trashed it, talking about how it had very little plot and all the characters were really wooden um, and that the villain's um, uh, the villain's like motivation didn't make any sense and it was just a bunch of like he just tore it apart and I was like I didn't get any of that I thought it was all really good so I don't know Sheridan what'd you think I liked it I do wish we had gotten a Black Widow movie before she died yeah. I think it makes it a little bit I don't know like I didn't feel as invested in her character right because sure. I know where it's going I guess I don't know um, and it just felt a little weird to be in phase four and then having this flashback that yeah. like doesn't have any impact on any of the rest of the movies, right? Like that made it kind of weird. Yeah, um, I mean, it's just fleshing out her character a little more, but that doesn't... Right, but I, I also feel like it made her death even stranger because like she actually does have a family and, yeah, and a story going people who forward. care for her and love yeah. her, right? Yeah. Um, but that being said, I still enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I was hoping it would be a little bit more of kind of a spy thriller, I guess, than like a big giant CGI action sequence movie, mm. which it was. Yeah. But, you know, it was still fun. I really liked David Harbour in it. I thought he was really funny. Yeah. Uh, Florence Pugh obviously was great. Rachel The post credit scene was really good. Oh. Yeah, Rachel Weisz was also can we can we talk about that post credit scene for a second and just tell listeners to <laughs> skip forward if they haven't seen it yet? Yeah, spoilers. So spoilers, now. skip forward like thirty to forty seconds. So, do you guys think that that was a scene from the Hawkeye series? Do you think it? Do I think it's from the Hawkeye series or like setting up the Hawkeye series? I, I'm, I mean, directly but from. Yeah. So the Hawkeye is already filming. Oh, it's already filming. It's right. been filming for a while. Um, and that wouldn't be the first time that they've used footage from another like series or movie um, in like a, a post credit stinger. Right. It wouldn't surprise me if it gets used yeah. in the in the series, just because I feel like it might not make sense without it. <laughs> um, yeah. But I liked it a lot. I also was just glad to see someone mourning Natasha's death. Like, that was nice to see. Yeah. Like, oh, look, we got a gravestone. Lovely. Like, someone remembered her. <laughs> Not doing it in the way that Hawkeye and Hulk do it, where they just, like, kind of brood and throw things at a lake. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe, like, maybe she did have a funeral for, like, her, her spy family. 
I always assumed that they had done a funeral. I just assumed it just happened off screen. Yeah, she doesn't get a big 20 minute or what? Five minute post. Post scene. Or not post scene. Post scene in uh, the end of Endgame. Post battle scene. Right. Just like I assume that like the Asgardians probably did something for Loki, um, but we just didn't see it, you know? Yeah, and there's. I, I feel like they would have. I feel like Thor would have been like, we're doing this. Would they? Did they? I think. Maybe not. Probably. Well, I don't know. But there were also a lot of people that died right then. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, we also don't know if they did like a funeral for Cap or whatever. Because we don't fully know what the public knows or thinks has happened to him. We don't know if he's dead or not. Right? Right. Because. He might be in like a nursing home. Yeah. Or on the moon, I guess. But. Right, but like he's not—he's not around going forward in Phase Four. No, he's not. Know. But they did do—they did in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. They did do that memorial scene where they're like commemorating his life. That's right. Um, and like Sam is giving up the the shield and stuff, which is a big mistake, but whatever. Um, and they, they did that, so I think. And then yeah, like Sheridan said, there's the conspiracy theory on the show that he's on the moon. Um, so I think that everybody assumes he had died. But what I want to know is, did he go back to his timeline that he like the new timeline, or does he stay in this one? Don't know, because he had to have kept just enough pin particles to like jump back for I guess not back jump forward in time. So I don't know. There's a whole lot of wacky time travel stuff with that part. Yeah, but overall, Black Widow very enjoyable. I laughed a lot. I particularly enjoyed the conversation about the vest Wasn't <laughs> and that good? many pockets. So yeah, many pockets. Great. And she was definitely wearing it at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One more thing, listeners, that's spoilery. So jump forward another 30 seconds if you haven't already. Um, I like how Marvel has been doing this thing where they're not killing off villains now. Um, because I think that was a little short-sighted in the earlier movies. Um, but wait, they definitely did. What? Taskmaster is straight up alive at the end of this. Which one is Taskmaster? The one that can mimic your movements. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Um, and then she's alive, but like the main villain. Dude. Oh no, he's dead. But who cares about him? Like, who cares about him? That story should have been over years ago. But I'm saying, like, leaving Taskmaster alive is a really cool. Yeah, I did like that. Um, same thing with like in the Hulk movie, they left Abomination, you know, alive, and now we're gonna see. Uh, abomination again in shang chi so that's just i think it's cool when they can pull pull in a rotation of villains you know so do you guys want to get started on this episode we better (laughs) we're not even recording for a long time it's fine we can go as long as we want this is our podcast that is true we make the rules welcome to amateurs assemble a comic book book club podcast for you whether you're new to comics or a regular at your friendly local comic shop or just looking to talk about your favorite heroes. I'm Josh. I'm Seth. I'm Sheridan. And we've assembled to work through some issues together. Last time we covered issues number eight through nine and 11 through 14 in Brubaker's Captain America run from 2004. This week, we're diving into issues numbers 25 through 33, The Death of Captain America. Dun dun. Each week we'll begin by providing a little background that you might need to know or that will at least enhance your reading. We've skipped several issues. So Seth, tell us what the hell was the Civil War? All right. 
The American Civil War was the deadliest conflict in United States history, beginning in 1861 when 13 southern states seceded to protect the institution of slavery. Wait, is that is that not what we're talking about? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I didn't know you were going to do that. Glad <laughs> you like it. Okay. So, the Civil War comic book edition was a 2006 crossover event that, like the movie that was later adapted from it, pitted our heroes against each other over a government proposal to registered superpowered individuals. If you aren't familiar with what crossover events are, it's essentially a story that takes place through different monthly comics so that readers may need to pick up issues from different titles that they may not normally read. The cynical view of these crossover events is that they're just a quick way to goose comic book sales as they always end up drawing a lot of interest. A more charitable view is that it's a way to a make the universe feel more connected and B introduce readers to books and characters that they might like, but just aren't reading yet. Every crossover event is trying to do all of these things at once with varying levels of success. There's plenty to support both the cynical and charitable views of the crossover for the civil war event. For example, if you wanted to get the 100% complete story of civil war, Wikipedia lists over a hundred comic issues that are tied into the event, which is quite frankly absurd. But on the other hand, the major plot points and storyline of the Civil War is all self-contained in a seven-issue limited series. And, as far as connecting the whole Marvel Universe, it clearly did that and told a story that it could only do with numerous characters, and it had far-reaching consequences throughout the Marvel Universe. Alright, so from here on out, we're going to have kind of a general spoiler warning for the Civil War storyline. I won't get into too many specifics. Um, but you know, you've been warned. There's a little bit of spoilery here in the broadest strokes. It's very similar to how it was adapted in Captain America civil war following a catastrophic event with a lot of civilian loss of life. The government proposes registration for superpowered individuals, which fractures our heroes on different sides of the debate. And in both cases with Captain America on one side and Iron Man leading the pro registration side. But that's kind of where the similarities end. The main difference to me is the scope. While the Marvel Cinematic Universe has, you know, maybe a dozen or so superheroes, superhumans to register, the comics has hundreds. And these characters are in vastly different situations, ranging from those with no secret identity, like Captain America or the Fantastic Four, to those who fiercely protect their alter egos, most famously Spider-Man and Daredevil falls in this group as well. Interestingly, that doesn't predict which side of the conflict our heroes will be on. You would kind of think those who want to protect their secret identity are anti-registration, but it doesn't it doesn't break down neatly like that. It was kind of an I think a good choice by them to split it that way. Yeah, I would agree. I think that they kind of screwed up a little bit with, with the way that they handled Spider-Man throughout Civil War. Yeah. Um, but I think otherwise it's a pretty flawless story, but yeah, we're gonna, with one glaring mistake. Well, I don't know if I think it's a mistake, but we'll get to Spider-Man here in a little bit. So to go back to kind of how we started the Civil War, the inciting event that started the registration dive began with the low-level superhero team, the New Warriors, in an attempt to boost their reality TV show ratings. They attempt to capture four supervillains hiding out in the suburbs, but these villains are much more powerful than their usual foes. 
the battle's kind of a mess from the jump. Uh, but the New Warriors do end up capturing three of the four villains, and they've got the last one cornered. However, that remaining villain, Nitro, has the power to create huge explosions and so blows up several city blocks to get away, killing hundreds of people in all but one of the new mutants in the process. This whole encounter is caught on camera for their reality TV show and just like incenses the public. Public opinion starts to turn strongly in favor of licensing superhumans, which leads to the Superhero Registration Act. Some of our heroes agree that it's necessary, or at least see that it's unavoidable at this point, and so begin to work with the government on designing registration. There's also a related plan to have a super team for each of the 50 states, which is pretty cool, and I don't actually know if they explored it further past the Civil War event. I actually don't know either. That's very the boys, though. It's, I mean, it's a good idea, but also, I mean... Does Nebraska really need a whole super super team? That's also sure. that's also the boys. <laughs> so maybe yeah. maybe they didn't do it because of that. Because it's like you'll have these little towns where there'll be like one hero for like a good chunk of the state, and then right. like big cities where there's dozens of them. Okay, so most notable on the pro registration side are Tony Stark, Iron Man, Reed Richards, Mister Fantastic, and Hank Pym, Ant Man. Uh, these three are the driving architects of the registration system and some of the more controversial aspects of it. So, a few weeks before the Registration Act goes into effect, Acting S.H.I.E.L.D. Director Maria Hill asked Captain America to help lead the response unit to bring in unregistered superhumans. Uh, that group would later be known as Cape Killers. When Cap refuses, the S.H.I.E.L.D. team attempts to take him down. And I'd just like to note here that the law was not even effect in effect yet. And Cap didn't even refuse registering at this point. He just refused to help down other people. Yeah. Like, but still, that meant they were going to take him down and take him in. Cap escapes and becomes a symbol for the anti-registration side and rallies a bunch of the anti-registration heroes in the underground. The story takes a lot of twists and turns from this point, and several heroes switch sides over the course of the fight. Most notably, Sue and Johnny Storm of the Fantastic Four. They come out against registration while Reed Richards is still a leader on the pro-registration side. And Spider-Man famously switched sides. He joins Cap after he had publicly revealed his secret identity in support of registration. That was like one of the big, huge moments from this event um, in my mind, like the one that really grabbed attention. Yeah, that's well, it was a big deal. But then they also did Marvel. Didn't, that's part of the controversy is Marvel didn't commit to it. Well, they committed to it for a little while, and then they undid it Yeah, a couple of years later. In a pretty ridiculous way. Yeah. Let's let's not go there. But it is Mephisto, everyone's is favorite <laughs> supervillain. That's more on a Spider-Man pod. We'll, we'll wait on that. There are too many other big plot points to cover in a brief way. We could seriously probably do a whole deep dive just on Civil War. But to cover some of the most impactful that are interesting and that affect our story... Um, I'm going to do kind of a heavier spoiler warning here. What, these are more specific stories to spoilers to the storyline. So if you don't want to hear these, jump ahead about 30 or 45 seconds. So one, Hank Pym develops a clone cyborg of Thor that kills Bill Foster, the superhero Goliath. That was pretty crazy. And I don't know why we have a clone cyborg. Well, at that, so 
Ragnarok had just come out pre-Civil War. It actually came out just before the death of Captain America arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thor is at the moment in the Odin sleep. He was in the Odin sleep for five years, I think, in real real time. Right. So well, he wasn't around. Yeah, so he they, just wasn't. They, they clone him and make him a cyborg. And no one knows where he is either. Because the last time anybody saw him, Iron Man and Cap were with him. And then he just basically teleported them back to Earth. And they don't know what happened. And gotcha. no one ever saw him again. Yeah. And so he shows up and people are like, what? It's Thor? And then they're like, wait, you're not Thor. That's a cyborg because comics. Um, <laughs> that is going to be a thing that comes up in these issues, though. Gotcha. Okay, number two. When Spider-Man defects, uh, the Thunderbolts go after him, which is a group of supervillains that S.H.I.E.L.D. is using to hunt down unregistered superhumans. Although they're supposedly chipped to prevent them from going rogue, they still very nearly kill Spider-Man here until he's rescued by the Punisher. And this just I think this is just an interesting part because it shows one aspect of how far the pro registration side has gone. Like they're enlisting these supervillains to help three Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic develops a prison for superhumans refusing registration, which he puts in the negative zone. Uh, the negative zone is an alien universe with very little life prominent in the fantastic four comics. And we could honestly probably do our own deep dive just on that. But again, just wanted to point out how over the top it was because they're not just like putting these people in a normal prison. They're sending them to a different universe. So just pretty, pretty over the top. It pisses off a lot of them too. Yeah. Like, I think that is actually why Johnny and Sue storm switch sides. That would Can't make sense for sure. I reread this recently, but those little details still not sure. So that's the end of like the detailed, detailed spoilers until we get to the end of the civil war, which I guess is still pretty spoilery, but it ends after an extended battle, which started in the negative zone, but was transported back to New York city. Battle goes back and forth, but ultimately the resistance is winning and captain America has taken down iron man until he's tackled by a bunch of random civilians, which where did they come from? Anyways, we'll come back to that. Cap looks around at this point, sees the damage this fight is doing to the city and the heroes and surrenders. Overall, I'd say Civil War is an interesting storyline, but kind of falls flat in a few ways. The stated goal from the beginning was to have fans split down the middle along with our heroes. However, the pro-registration side goes to such extremes that almost no fans were on that side by the end. Yeah. I I also, I touched on it just a second ago, but I think I also find the ending pretty unsatisfying. Like, they're in the middle of a fight, like essentially a war zone in the city of, in the center of New York City. Cap is about to take out Iron Man. And then just like five or six random civilians come up and like hold his arms and take hold of him. Yeah. It's like, what? These people have not been on panel anywhere at all. How, where did they come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, seriously, Steve Rogers hadn't thought about like the damage that was being done Yeah. before this point. I don't, it just, anyways. Overall, it's a really great story concept and a fun read despite a few of his flaws, I think. Have, have you both or either of you read Civil War? Yeah, I read it as, as it was coming out back in the day. Yeah. And I read it, I think, once since then. Yeah, I read it earlier this year, or at least parts of it, right? <laughs> like, I read the kind of the Civil War trade. Right. And I read Road to Civil War, and then the, like, Captain America and Iron Man issues, yeah. which include, like, a random one-off Bucky issue in there, too. Yeah, that's 
about what I read. The main, like I said, the main Civil War trade is just seven issues. And so it's pretty quick to read through. I agree that it does fall flat, though. I remember being 15, 16 when it came out and thinking, like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> like, it was building really well. There was some really fantastic moments. Like, the the speech that Sharon gives in uh, one of the Cat movies at the funeral, like, about, like, planting yourself like a tree and saying, you move, blah, blah, blah. Um, Cap gives that in the comics to Spider-Man to, like, like right when Spider-Man switches sides. Gotcha. Or maybe it's the thing that makes him switch sides. And it's so good and it all builds up and it's building really well and then yeah like you said just some randos pop out of nowhere to stop cap and yeah. he's like oh what have i done yeah and it's like i mean it's kind of like an ends in a tie too right like no one likes ending in a tie yeah. mm-hmm. so at the end of civil war it sets up our characters in a different spot than we left them for this captain america run so to run down kind of where everyone is real quick Steve Rogers, Captain America, is in custody about to undergo trial for his role in fighting registration. Bucky is still on the lam, but has been working with Nick Fury. Fury, meanwhile, is out at S.H.I.E.L.D. He's no longer the director. But Tony Stark, Iron Man, is the director. Uh, Sharon Carter, Agent 13, has been semi-forced to retire from S.H.I.E.L.D. Because how she kind of, sort of help steve rogers during the civil war she never like outright helped him but there were several times she had the opportunity to bring him in and didn't do it yeah um the falcon sam wilson has accepted amnesty which was a part of a deal that steve rogers made when ending the war was that basically he was the only one that would stand trial and everyone else could be amnestied and accept registration if they wanted such a cap move and now our villains for this run of issues. Red Skull is still around and sharing a body with Alexander Lukin, who was, if you remember from our last couple episodes, he was a Russian mega corporation owner that used the Cosmic Cube to own more corporations. Capitalism! The uh, real villain. <laughs> yeah. We also have Sin, who is Red Skull's daughter. She's been out trying to learn how to be a supervillain with crossbones. In a relationship that's deeply troubling. Oh, deeply it's troubling. so upsetting. It's so upsetting. Yeah. It's really creepy, guys. Yeah. A couple others that play prominent roles here are Dr. Zola. He's uh, in the Captain America movies, if you've seen those. He's in the role here where he's kind of like a almost artificial evil intelligence. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't really have a body. Yeah. He, he uses, like, cyborg bodies, but yeah. he can switch between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Dr. Faustus, who I had not had much exposure to before, but he uh, apparently just has mind control powers. I think he's a mutant. I'm fairly certain. He might be. I, I may be incorrect on that. So if I am, listeners, I'm sorry. We are amateurs. But I'm fairly certain he's a, he's a mutant. <laughs> yeah. But he he is around here working with Red Skull and Dr. Zola to... Go after our heroes. To do bad things. To do bad. To do villainy. And to that, that leads us to where we are. Issue number 25. Here we go. We open with the story of Steve Rogers told in flashback. The skinny kid from Brooklyn going from weak to strong, from nobody to symbol. We see the news coverage of the fallout of the Civil War, crowd anxiously waiting the arrival of Cap for his trial. The reckoning for his supposed crimes. 
Sharon, talking to Fury over the radio, watches as the crowd calls for Cap's release, as well as shouts that he's a traitor. The crowd is very conflicted here. Sharon remembers the stories her grandmother Peggy told her, stories of a man bigger than legend, a man that was her grandmother's friend, hero, and the love of her life. She recalls how meeting Cap herself led to an understanding of how her grandmother had fallen in love with him, and how despite knowing it would end poorly, she herself wound up falling for the same man. Carter's and Cap, but the man has a type. We see another point of view and learn that Bucky is also in the crowd and is receiving radio instructions from Fury as well. In the same way Sharon had flashbacks of her memories with Cap, so too does Bucky recall their long history. He describes two men put to the fire who came out stronger and through battle came to be brothers. We see how much admiration Bucky has for Cap and how the hero can do no wrong in his eyes. The crowd presses in. Reporters shout questions at Cap. He silently walks through them. The crowd starts to turn on him and we see Cap hit by a tomato because everybody brings tomatoes to trials. When he looks in the direction of the throw, he sees a laser sight on the back of one of his guards. A hero till the end, despite being held down by shield strength dampening technology, Cap jumps in the way of the shot. It strikes him through the chest and he falls. Uh, Bucky leaps into action to find the sniper and Sharon rushes in as the crowd panics. We see a gun pressed to the red and white stripes on Cap's stomach and three more shots ring out. The now iconic above shot of Cap dying on the steps in Sharon's arms is seen here. Sharon cradles Steve, and he struggles to speak. Sharon, the crowd, get them to safety. Sharon tells him not to worry about them, and Sharon tells him not to worry about them, and he tells her that he wants no more innocents hurt. Falcon sees Bucky busting through a window and intercepts, mistaking the ex-assassin for the current one. Fury tells Bucky that they have spotted the shooter, and both Bucky and Falcon give chase. Uh, the first of a long career of team-ups between the two. I'm sure that Sheridan gave a chuckle of delight as, <laughs> for the first time, Bucky asked Sam to carry him as he flies. You know I did because I sent you both a screenshot and yeah. was like, oh, look, it's the first time Falcon carries him. And this, and is, this is when we decided he needs a Bucky Bjorn. Right, there to needs be to be a harness because then they could have twice as many guns yeah. And also, Sam wouldn't drop him through a billboard. <laughs> I mean, the man has PTSD, in part from, like, being thrown from a flying drone plane. I feel like we could protect him a little more. That's all I ask. And we know from canon that it makes bu or makes Sam's arms tired. So right. we, there, there's a system here that needs to happen. Right. Just a harness situation. Mm -hmm. We cut again to Sam and Bucky taking down a helicopter and see now that Crossbones is the one who carried out the sniper shot. Sam and Buck take down the chopper and Sam brings Crossbones into custody, but not before telling Bucky to get out of there while he still could. We cut to the ambulance and Falcon following overhead, his friend dying below. He recalls all the adventures he shared with Cap and their friendship that grew out of them. The news breaks. Cap was pronounced dead on arrival. We have no time to process this news as we see a nurse come out of the shadows to a morning Sharon Carter. Dr. Faustus says, remember, she tells Agent 13. Sharon falls over and her memory returns. It wasn't a shooter in the crowd who shot Cap in the gut those last three times, but Agent 13 herself. 
This issue ends in a brutal fashion as we see the blank stare of Cap peeking out of the sheets that cover him and the iconic red-gloved hand hanging limp from his stretcher. Issue number 26 opens with Sharon talking to the Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, (laughs) a name you recognize if you watched The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, On the MCU, Val is introduced as an antagonist, but in comics lore, she gets her start when she's recruited by Timothy Dum Dum Duggan into working for S.H.I.E.L.D., where she has a sort of tempestuous relationship with Nick Fury that is straight out of a soap opera. Uh, They live together for a while, but he's continuing to have an on-again, off-again fling with another woman, and Val is busy flirting with Captain America, and it's all very dramatic. Uh, At this point (laughs) in the comics, she is ostensibly still working for the good guys, which is why she is headed to Steve Rogers' wake at a bar in his old neighborhood. Sharon is clearly distraught. We flash back to five days earlier when Sharon learns from Tony that Steve's body has been taken to the morgue because he is a perfect super soldier specimen. However, when Sharon is allowed to see him, it's clear that something is wrong. The effects of the serum are long gone and the body before her is no longer young and muscular. Every year of his unnaturally long life is etched on his face and his body is gaunt. What have I done? Sharon mutters to herself before her argument with Tony escalates. You think seeing him like this isn't killing me? Tony asks, and Sharon slaps him. Back in the present moment, Sharon tells Val that she's resigned from S.H.I.E.L.D. Inside the bar where the wake is taking place, Sam Wilson feels out of place and seems relieved when Sharon shows up. They talk about her decision to resign, and she seems close to telling him something important when they are interrupted by Rick Jones. A little aside about Rick Jones, because I can't not talk about him. He's one of those characters that I didn't know anything about for a long time, but then it turns out he's kind of all over the place in Marvel Comics. He is the catalyst for Bruce Banner becoming the Hulk (laughs) when Banner has to rescue him from the gamma bomb test site that he snuck onto, which is how Banner winds up bombarded with gamma radiation. Mm -hmm. Jones then becomes the Hulk's not particularly wanted sidekick. Jones also has a hand in forming the Avengers uh, when they respond to his radio broadcast warnings about the Hulk. And at one point, while he is trapped in the negative zone, he shares a body with Captain Marvel. He's also A-bomb, correct? Oh, maybe. I don't remember. Yeah, he, Probably. He becomes a bomb at one point. He does so much. Yeah. Uh, but what's important to this story is that he temporarily serves as a sidekick for Captain America. Rick bears a strong resemblance to Bucky and even wears Bucky's costume for a time. However, Cap's grief for Bucky at that point is still very fresh, and he worries that Rick isn't up to Bucky's standards of child assassin. So when Iron Man suggests that Rick be made a full member of the Avengers, Cap strongly opposes the idea. Later, Rick Jones writes a tell-all memoir titled Sidekick, uh, which you can read whole passages from in Alias numbers seven through nine. He says that trying to be Cap's partner after Bucky's death made him feel, quote, dirty inside and compares Cap to a man who has lost the love of his life, so he gets a new girlfriend who looks a little like his lost love and then makes her start wearing the same lipstick 
and fixing her hair the same way. Wow. That's not weird at all. He writes, I wasn't being Captain America's partner. What I was doing was helping a grieving man come to terms with the incredible loss in his life. I was a phase. And that is just a little gift for all the fanfic writers out there. Oh my gosh. But back to our issue. Uh, Sharon and Sam both wind up slipping away from the crowd. Sharon goes to the bathroom where she struggles to piece together accurate memories of Steve's death. Meanwhile, Sam ducks out and soars over the city alone, lamenting the fact that it felt like all the wrong people were at Steve's wake, which is how he winds up at Steve's secret wake held by the still unregistered heroes like Spider-Man, Luke Cage, and Jessica Jones no relation to Rick. The group argues about whether Tony Stark is to blame for Steve's death, and they come to the general consensus that even if he didn't pull the trigger, he may as well have. But if Sam Wilson was feeling alone in the midst of a crowd earlier, Bucky Barnes is truly alone. He sits by himself at a bar trying to watch Steve's funeral on TV. If you're getting some strong Jack Monroe vibes here, I'm pretty sure that's intentional. He's lost in his regrets, both for the person he has become, a person who seems capable only of hurting others, and for the way that he allowed his own shame to keep him from reconnecting with Steve. As he mourns by himself, a fellow bar patron comments that Steve doesn't deserve to be buried in Arlington because he's a traitor, not a hero. Bucky's empty glass shatters in his gloved metal fingers as he turns on the man. He reminds himself that Steve would take the time to debate the man, but Bucky's not Steve. And he makes quick work not only of that man, but of pretty much everyone else in the bar (laughs) other than the bartender. As he stands amidst the broken bodies of men he's thrashed, he thinks to himself that Steve would be ashamed of him. And he stares at his hands with tears running down his face. He was my link things. Now, what have I got left? I thought about that final page from issue 14, where Steve recalls Bucky saying that he was the only person in the world who really understood him. And it's clear here too, that this is true also for Bucky. Mm -hmm. Steve was the only person in the world who really understood him. And he was Bucky's one link to who he was before the brainwashing and the violence of war. Fortunately, the Falcon shows up. Thank God for Sam. And Bucky tells him that he saw his speech on TV. You really understood him, Buck tells Sam. And although Sam probably doesn't realize it, knowing what we know, it's probably the greatest compliment Bucky could have given him. We open issue 27 with S.H.I.E.L.D. director Tony Stark answering some press questions about Captain America and who should take up the mantle. But Tony is adamant that Steve Rogers was Captain America, and the mask and shield will be retired. We cut to Bucky Barnes, who hears Tony's press conference, and decides to check out where Cap Shield is supposedly being retired, a brand new Captain America wing of the Smithsonian. Buck goes in and checks out the place, and he sees that while security is good, it's not that good. 
And so he's convinced that that can't be the shield, the actual shield there on display. He's right, of course. As Bucky realizes it's a replica shield, we find out that Tony Stark has the actual one on lockdown. Bucky determines to steal Cap's shield because he does agree with Tony on at least one thing. No one else is worthy to carry that shield. We move from here to Sharon Carter, still struggling, deeply depressed, and actually hoping to kill herself. But she can't break free of Dr. Faustus's mind control. And it's I should kind of make clear here that it's not it's not mind control and that he's controlling everything that they do, but it's like there are like limits and conditions on them. In some senses, he is giving them directives of exactly what to do, but it's it's more like brainwashed than mind control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's yeah. Like they can't, for instance, Sharon can't tell anybody that she's been brainwashed. Right. It's very much like a Jonathan Strange, Mister Norrell situation where like they can't right. talk about There's the thing limit. that's yeah. yeah. That's causing it to him. Yeah. As we're there with Sharon, Sam Wilson, who really is just kind of like the glue holding everyone together in this arc. Truly. He comes to check on Sharon. Team Sam. And he enlists her to help track down Bucky. Uh, we learn that Bucky has already con- compromised S.H.I.E.L.D. systems and, you know, broken in so that they fear he knows where the S.H.I.E.L.D. is. And so Tony Stark decides to move the S.H.I.E.L.D., but Bucky's time in espionage serves him well here. And he's prepared for this and not fooled by their diversions. He lets the four armored vehicles leave, the ones that are supposedly moving Cap's shield, and waits for a fifth car, a flying car that actually does take off with the shield. Bucky is able to bring the car down. We find here that the shield is being protected by the Black Widow, Natasha Romanov. And we also find out here that Bucky and Natasha have a history. We don't know exactly what that history is just yet, but we see that they recognize each other and both had heard of the other but didn't believe it was actually the person that they knew because of the amount of time that had passed later on we get a flashback between the two of them where we learn that they were in fact together they had a relationship and that they were both punished for that connection Uh, bucky also reveals here that he was one to help train natasha and that it was all connected in the former soviet secret agent spy training days (laughs) afterward while natasha debriefs with tony stark she warns tony that the winter soldier blames him for steve's death and will be coming for him issue 28 is a little bit different there are these title cards or chapter cards Um, i call them title cards in this little write-up i did here that basically show each new scene so you'll have a different little phrase or word so we open with the title card silencers over a graffiti filled alley we overhear a man named merv working the front desk of an apartment complex and discussing how cap's death was no mere assassination but rather an attempt to silence him before he could expose some dark truth bucky walks in and thinks about how even in death cap causes dissent and debate He goes on to do some rooftop brooding as a shield helicarrier floats ominously over the city. He dwells on the fact that, despite the men downstairs believing otherwise, Cap was assassinated, at least in part by the very person Buck and Cap had fought against throughout the war. He ruminates on his options and laments his leads to finding the Red Skull, all coming up short. So he turns his thoughts to his other mission, 
of killing Tony Stark. He knows he must get into the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier occupying the New York skyline. After all, that is where he will find Tony. Frustratingly, he has no idea how to do so. He hears the words of Cap in his head. There's always a way. Although, if Cap were here with Bucky now, he would likely take issue with his plan to murder the longtime Avenger and friend. We cut to another title card that reads, Out of Mind. Charles Xavier himself, arguably the most powerful psychic or telepath telepath in all of Marvel comics, uh, cross-examines, no pun intended, crossbones, while Tony Stark watches from behind a two-way mirror. Professor X informs Tony that someone has erased large chunks of Crossbone's mind and that it yielded nothing. A frustrated Tony lets us know that with no other leads into Crossbone's motivation or the possible whereabouts of the Red Skull, he would be sending Crossbones to the Raft, Marvel's notorious super prison at sea. The next title card reads Anarchy in the U.S., We see Cynthia Schmidt, spelled S-I-N-T-H-E-A, and her team of supervillains, the Serpent Squad, attacking the main server for the, air quotes here, Asian stock market. Sin and her minions waste no time and pull no punches as they brutally murder most of the office workers, security guard, IT engineers, pretty much everybody in the building, uh, before burning it down. Sin admits it won't crash the Chinese stock market, but it will certainly create a little anarchy. So they didn't even crash it. They just murdered a bunch of people to cause a hiccup. We jump to another title card reading Underground and see a frustrated Nick Fury discussing Bucky's whereabouts with the Falcon. Falcon reminds us that the comics version of him can speak to birds and reports that all birds in the city are on lookout for Bucky. (laughs) It actually comes up like several times in this storyline. And I'm always like, wait, really? Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. It's so great. I love comics. (laughs) So the best power speaking to birds. And he's not, he's not like a mutant, right? No, he's just, just a dude no, he can just, he, can just talk to birds, he doesn't man. speak to them, actually. At one point, he points out to Sharon that he, like, visually, like, has this, like, visual telepathy with them. Yeah, 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 that's right. He doesn't get, yeah, he doesn't get, like, words from him. He gets images. <laughs> so the bird isn't the word in this case. Anyway, Fury admits <laughs> that he doesn't have the resources he once had and will have to think on a better way to find Bucky than just waiting around and hoping that they get lucky. We jump to the next title card, A New Plan, and see Agent 13 and Falcon on the rooftop of the Daily Bugle. Uh, Pigeons all around, finishing the other end of the previous page's conversation. They discuss whether they should let Tony know that Bucky is planning to kill him. And Agent 13 points out that, yeah, basically, that Tony probably got the message when Barnes took down the Black Widow. 13 has no love for Stark or S.H.I.E.L.D. and says they can figure it out on their own and that she and Sam should focus on finding Bucky by locating the Red Skull. The scene ends with 13 riding on Sam's back as he takes to the sky. And I'd like to point out that it's possible for people to ride on Sam's back. He just carries Bucky. So I don't know. It's a choice. It's a choice. Anyway. Also, I don't know why they were on the top of the Daily Bugle other than just to place us somewhere in the Marvel Universe because it has no bearing in the scene at all. It's just kind of like, hey, Spider-Man works here. Okay. 
The next title card reads, The Doctor is In. And we cut to Dr. Faustus wearing a shield psychiatrist disguise. There is a funny moment, probably just to me, where Faustus, still in disguise, tells the secretary to hold his calls so he can catch up on notes. I laughed here, imagining the supervillain working on some documentation for his sessions for hours on end just to maintain the illusion that he is a real employee. Uh, because paperwork is the real monster. So we jump to our next title card, Dead Letter Office, and see Tony Stark talking to Agent Herman, who is trying to volunteer to be the next Captain America. He's so humble. Annoyed, Tony reminds the agent that the shield and the title are retired, and it isn't a job one just applies for. After this awkward exchange, a lawyer is let in and delivers a letter to Tony from Cap. His final wishes, the lawyer calls it. He presents a letter that reads, For Tony Stark only, and lets Tony know that it was only to be delivered upon Cap's death. Having read the letter, Tony calls in the Black Widow. We jump to title card, Counter Surveillance, and see Bucky wrecking shop on some aim flunkies, which is just a theme of this whole like run. Having caught a lead on the Serpent Squad, I can't say that without laughing, and hoping it will lead him back to the Red Skull, Bucky aims his sights on working his way, aka kicking asses, through the villain ranks until he has found the skull. Through a threat of pistol whipping, he learns that Sin has tasked them with monitoring shield agents and transmissions. The final card reads Rescue Mission and shows us Sin and her serpents swapping out clothes with some murdered shield agents. I am sure this was meant to be like a sexy shot of Sin, like in a shield cat suit, but the entire scene is just so ridiculous and you can't help but laugh. There's in the background, the other members of the Serpent Squad are just like wearing their bulky uniforms and then putting on these like men's cat suits. And it's just absolutely silly. And she's just in the front, like trying to look hot, I guess. Anyway, Sin ends the issue by revealing that they plan to break into S.H.I.E.L.D. and bust out Crossbones, her boyfriend, as she calls him. Tony and a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent watch footage of Sin and the Serpent Squad as they infiltrate the S.H.I.E.L.D. subcarrier to break Crossbones out of custody. Which means Tony and the agent also get to watch Sin and Crossbones take a little break to make out, which no one wants to see. Tony realizes that they must have a mole in S.H.I.E.L.D. Surely not. There's never been a mole in S.H.I.E.L.D. And he bemoans the fact that it feels like he's struggling with one crisis after another. Uh, Welcome to being the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., Tony. Meanwhile, Black Widow is following every lead she can in an attempt to find the Winter Soldier. But she seems to run into nothing but dead ends. She asks herself what she knows about the man that might help her find him. And I just think it's interesting to keep in mind here that when Natasha is thinking about this, the man that she knows is the Winter Soldier, not Bucky. When we next see Bucky, he's once again drinking alone, presumably at a different bar, uh, when he hears the news of Crossbones' escape. He quickly makes his way to the Kronos building because he realizes that Lucan and the Red Skull must be working together to pull off something like that, although he has no idea how close they've really become. We see Sam and Sharon fighting their way through some AIM operatives when Falcon is attacked by a flamethrower. 
It turns out he has not <laughs> been making his uniform out of a flame retardant material, and he has to strip out of the burning chunks of spandex. He tells Sharon he has everything under control, which <laughs> seems debatable to me since he's currently on fire, but she leaves him to it. He's got this. Right. Suddenly, Sharon <laughs> flashes back to the moment of Steve's death. And she finds herself retching and wrapping her hand protectively around her abdomen. This is what we lit majors like to call foreshadowing. Sam finds her and they fly off. As Lucan arrives in his penthouse, we see Bucky waiting in the shadows. When he pens Lucan to the wall, he asks, surprised to see me? Not entirely, Lucan says, but I'm surprised that wasn't a killing blow. You've lost your touch, Winter Soldier. But the Winter Soldier, of course, is purposefully restraining himself. Bucky accuses Lucan of working with the Red Skull and calls him a mass murderer. Lucan asks if that's a word he really wants to be throwing around. But before Bucky can get the information he wants out of Lucan, Crossbones and Sin burst in. Issue 30 starts with S.H.I.E.L.D. director Tony Stark having another bad day. Again, welcome to the job, Tony. Not only has he recently lost Captain America's shield, but now he has 20 agents that have gone off the grid. And the one link, their psychiatrist, has also disappeared. Tony sends a team to, dis- to the psychiatrist's apartment to find out what's going on, only to find that he has been long dead and stuffed in his own freezer <laughs> as he was impersonated by Dr. Faustus. We cut back to what we had as the cliffhanger from the last episode, with Bucky now getting pummeled by crossbones and sin while the red skull looks on and i want to side note here that like lucan slash red skull has they look like lucan but he has this creepy mask (laughs) that he pulls out and puts on to look like the red skull and it's just like really weird but i also love it it's also drawn like super it's yeah it's so lumpy yeah it's like lumpy and it hangs down in weird places and it's like all it looks really weird but kind of disturbing and i like it <laughs> so but it's also just like hilarious that to feel like himself he has to look like he has no face yeah every every single time that he was talking as the red skull during this whole run i kept thinking to myself he's wearing a mask right now <laughs> he's just, he's which is like, really funny because in the first issue red skull is like at one point wears a mask that is a normal human face yeah and then he has the red skull mask over his normal human face pick a lane red skull come on man anyway so the red skull is looking on as bucky's getting beaten up bucky's able to turn the tables and he has a pretty good line on sin where he's like have you even been fighting anyone who knows how to fight or just (laughs) killing random people so he's turned the tables and he has crossbones held up in the air by his metal arm and is this close to killing the man that he believes murdered his friend. But probably due to Steve's influence, Bucky pulls back. He turns to confront the Red Skull, who uses a shutdown code on Bucky, one that still conveniently works just this once, to knock Bucky out. Crossbones here is a bit annoyed that the Red Skull didn't, you know, use that a little bit earlier when he was about to be (laughs) murdered. But, and the Red Skull's answer here really isn't all that reassuring to him. He needed to see if the Winter Soldier was still an assassin or if he was completely worthless to me. So yeah, he was totally going to let him just kill Crossbones. Mm-hmm. Maybe this should be a tip to people like working with the Red Skull that maybe you should rethink your choices. Not the best employer, the Red Skull. Yeah. 
Are we the baddies? <laughs> Are we the baddies? We're following a guy who pulls out a mask that's a giant blood red skull. Is it possible that we're the baddies? <laughs> this is later on in the issue, but the last thing that we see with Bucky is that he's captured and Dr. Faustus begins to try his mind control on him. From the point Bucky is knocked out, we cut over to Sam, who's recovering from his non-flame retardant incident of the issue before, patching himself up. Black Widow shows up and suggests that she team up with Sam and Sharon as they're all looking for Bucky. They leave to go check on Sharon, and we flash to her before they get there. In one of the most soap opery bits of this arc. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we here find out that Sharon Carter is pregnant. And there's only one person could be. The Red Skull? <laughs> Two people. No. <laughs> no, just one person. That, somehow you made it more disturbing. But it's, of course, Steve Rogers' potential baby that she is carrying, which will become a very weird subplot from here on out for the rest of this arc. Mm -hmm. Weird and, like, not great. Not great, guys. And ultimately forgotten by Marvel. <laughs> I mean... Smartly, probably. Anyways, back at S.H.I.E.L.D., we've cut to Tony a few times here as he notices that Sharon Carter was right there next to Steve Rogers when he died. She was right there, he says. Starting to put the pieces together, he asks if the list he had of people under Dr. Faustus's control included inactive agents. The list was only current agents, and so when he gets the updated list, he sees... Agent 13's name, Sharon Carter. Tony attempts to warn the Black Widow, but he is moments too late as Sharon comes out to Sam, Natasha in her apartment and stuns them to escape. It is definitely notable here that she is still fighting the influence because she definitely like could have just killed both of them at this point and instead just stuns them and leaves. Yeah. We end this issue finally seeing the contents of the letter that Steve wrote to Tony, essentially his last wishes. Steve only has two requests. Don't let Bucky drift away now that he has a chance at a new life. And don't let Captain America die with him because America needs a captain. Hmm. I think we could do a deep dive into uh, like a mi mini dive, like a kiddie pool dive into the children of Captain America because there's a lot of them and they're all weird. And all of them kind of just get retconned. Because there's Sarah, there's for James. The Say what? So for the best. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sarah, James, Ian... Uh, the several of them in the the animated version that like just get sent off to Antarctica to be raised by Tony Stark, like they're just just thrown away. He gets oh so, like gets Black Widow pregnant, gets Sharon Carter pregnant, gets Peggy Carter pregnant. Uh, Cap's just going around, He's just getting around, having huh? babies, having babies that disappear eventually. So anyway, let's get back to it. Issue thirty one uh, is the first issue in the Death of Captain America Volume Two. And opens, um, if you're reading the volumes, and opens on a New York City street. Agent 13 battles with an inner voice over where the blame lies in the death of Captain America. We then jump to a flashback of World War II. Cap battle scene plays out where the narrator tells of Bucky's traumatic past and becoming Cap's best friend. He remembers how Cap always saw the best in him from the first time they met and how hard he struggled to hide the darkness inside of him from Steve. 
He remembers Cap being willing to kill for his cause, but never reveling in the violence, never wanting to hurt anyone. He speculates that the strength that we have all come to know Cap for comes not from the serum in his veins, but the heart inside the man. Several comparisons of Cap and his own father are drawn by Bucky. Uh, The scene shifts. The scene shifts and Cap starts attacking U.S. troops while screaming, Heil Hitler! Just before gunning down Bucky. Uh, this scene, of course, is a fiction concocted by Dr. Faustus and placed into Bucky's mind. I, w- I want to jump in and say it is really effective in this issue because it's been so flashback heavy. Yeah. Like this series. Mm-hmm. So like you start and you're like right along there with Bucky and you're like, oh, this is just another flashback. And then Cap pulls a Heil Hitler and you're like, wait, what? What? Uh, the scene is of course though I said that the next panel shows as much and we find Faustus psychically torturing an unconscious and bound Bucky the ex-assassin's resilience confounding the villain prompting him to increase the dosage Uh, the scene moves on to Falcon waking from his attack by agent 13 and we learn that he has been unconscious for a day after the blast uh natasha not so much just kind of hanging out tony explains how they suspect agent 13 was the actual assassin that killed steve and falcon cannot believe it so they outline how uh faustus was able to infiltrate shield tony speculates that it is an important clue that sharon's only stunned falcon and widow rather than killing them we move on to see red skull plotting to unleash his Cronus army and giving a pep speech to the horde of soldiers. We jump to another forced flashback inside Bucky's mind. The invaders burn and kill Nazis and Cap smiles as he looks on. The voice of Faustus trying to convince Bucky that he was less than the other heroes back then. The scene pops out of the flashback and into the holding chamber. Faustus still prodding Bucky. Bucky still resisting. Faustus forces Bucky to relive the day his plane exploded and being lost at sea, essentially. The day he supposedly died. Faustus twisting the memory to make Cap seem cold and uncaring for Bucky. The mission being what mattered to Steve. Bucky is forced to relive his winter soldier conditioning and seemingly finally breaks under Faustus's conditioning. The issue ends with the reveal that Agent 13 has been the nurse helping Faustus all along. Bucky is ordered to kill her, and the final panel shows us the gun in his hand firing. We see that Bucky's gun was aimed at Dr. Faustus, but the doctor wasn't quite foolish enough to hand him a loaded weapon. Bucky fires a blank, and then electricity courses through his flesh arm. He crumbles to the floor, and Faustus knocks him out cold with a boot to the head. Meanwhile, Falcon and the Black Widow follow a lead from Red Wing, an actual bird friend of Sam's, not a little drone like in the MCU. They head down into the sewer where Red Wing saw Sharon disappear. And there they find a very inconspicuous glowing red entrance to a tunnel. It isn't ominous or obvious at all. It's all fine. I mean, those are all over. If you go through the New York subway, you know, and sewer yeah, system, right. you're going to see those. Open open red tunnel area. entrances. Always. We briefly flash over to the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier where we learn that Tony knows about Sharon's pregnancy because he found her pregnancy test <laughs> and had it fingerprinted. Super spy. Agent Carter leaves her pregnancy <laughs> test lying around. 
Oh, uh, meanwhile, Sharon is struggling to break through her brainwashing as she listens to Faustus and the Red Skull argue about how to handle the Winter Soldier. Fortunately, Falcon and Black Widow are on their way, taking out some members of RAID, which stands for Radically Advanced Ideas in Destruction, because comics love terrible acronyms. Bucky is captive in a cell bound in adamantium mesh so that even his dope metal arm, as Seth put it last week, is held yeah. firm. <laughs> he wonders how he'll get out and how he'll rescue Steve's lady friend, a phrase that reminds us, in case we forgot, that Bucky is still a dude from the 1940s. Worried about the superheroes <laughs> now making their way through the building, Faustus calls for his minions to bring him the Winter Soldier. When the unsuspecting guards open the door to Buck's cell, he comes flying through it in a panel that honestly defies explanation. His arms are still bound, but he somehow flings himself through the air, parallel to the ground, in order to kick one guard in the face and then jump up and headbutt the other one. When Faustus gets wind of the commotion Bucky is causing, he sends Sharon after him. She goes back and forth with herself, trying to decide whether to capture him or save him. As she teeters on the edge of this mental collapse, Bucky is the one to find her. And if anyone could understand what she's going through, it's Bucky. But even as he offers to help her, she tases him. He's loaded onto Faustus's escape jet along with Sharon. As they fly off, though, Sam stays on their tail. Sharon says she knows how to get rid of the Falcon, so she opens up the back of the plane and tosses Bucky's unconscious body out the door. Please stop throwing Bucky through the air, people. <laughs> Sam manages to grab him, but the momentum is too much for him, and he holds Bucky in his arms as they crash through a conveniently placed glass skylight. Black Widow finds them. Both of them are fine because comics, mm -hmm. although Bucky is still out cold. Not tells Sam that backup is on the way. Not to rescue them, but to take the Winter Soldier into custody. So, we open issue 33 with Bucky in S.H.I.E.L.D. custody. But not for long. A handful of S.H.I.E.L.D. engineers are there examining his dope metal arm. And they determine that it's S.H.I.E.L.D. made suggesting Bucky's connection with Nick Fury that no one at this point knows about. But then the arm manages to power itself up, take out all three <laughs> engineers, and escape through a ventilation shaft. I laughed so hard. It's so <laughs> good. It's so good. But it's so ridiculous. The scene where it punches the little lady in the face is just <laughs> amazing. I also like that everybody at S.H.I.E.L.D. has the same uniform, except that they just wear white lab coats over their little cat suits. Yeah, of course. You gotta you have to wear the the full cat suit, and you standard. have to have the white coat to know that they're. Uh, <laughs> How else would we know that they're nerds? Uh, it is really great. There's a point where it does it punches a lady in the face, and then it does like three somersaults <laughs> to go and punch someone else. It's to punch amazing. another guy in the face, and then it like it it like grabs the wall. It yeah, with pulls nothing. itself up. It grabs it's nothing. It's a real, like, uh, thing in the Adams Family vibe. Like, yeah, yeah like, for sure. Flying oh its way into the ventilation shop. It's, it's, it's absolutely, really it's peak comic absurdity is what it is. Yeah. I definitely, as we're talking about this, I wonder if it was like intentionally funny or like absurd. It's got to be, right? It, yeah. ha it pff, I don't know. 
One hopes. I don't know. Anyways, uh, the arm is also able to cut the power on the shield helicarrier. (laughs) You know? Uh, Just for a few seconds, that's all the time that Bucky needs. Black Widow actually goes to try and check on him in the moment, saying, I just saw him on the cameras. Of course he's there. But he's gone. He disappears, but he doesn't leave. He's on the helicarrier. This is his shot at Tony Stark. Iron Man and Bucky then have a pretty epic fight. Kind of goes back and forth. It's a really good one. with A lot of good moves, counter moves. And it, of course, ends in a standoff with the two of them holding a deadly weapon pointed in each other's face. A gun from Bucky with Iron Man's repulsor blast pointed directly at Bucky's head. But finally, Tony gets a chance to speak through this. And he says he doesn't want to kill Bucky to honor Steve Rogers' last wishes. There's a pretty funny moment here later where, you know, Black Widow is sure that they're still fighting and runs up with a whole S.H.I.E.L.D. crew expecting a battle to see them just calmly sitting in Tony's office talking over Steve's letter. From this, Bucky and Tony are finally on the same side and turn their attention to the Red Skull, who Bucky can now helpfully identify as Alexander Lucan. But the Red Skull knew this was coming, and to go into hiding, he fakes a plane, well, I guess there's a real plane crash, but he fakes Lucan's death through a plane crash. You know, obviously the S.H.I.E.L.D. people who know that Lucan is the Red Skull don't buy this, but he's off the grid and harder to track. Tony and Bucky discuss Steve's letter some more, and while they never state this straight out, it's clear that they're discussing Bucky as the one to take up the Captain America mantle. It's, to be honest, it's like pretty smart for Tony. It's a way to get both of those last wishes like in one with one stone. Yeah. You know, it's like, Hey, take care of Bucky and don't let the mantle die. It's like, well, why don't we just make Bucky do it? This guy's killed countless people. Let's he'll be a great Captain America. Bucky has two conditions before he's willing to, to do it. He wants S.H.I.E.L.D. to examine his head and make sure he's free of all of the Winter Soldier programming so that the knockout code that Red Skull had can't be used on him again. Mm-hmm. Although little does he know, it can't be used on him again anyways. It's, only, it's a one-off. It's a one-off. One-time trick. There might be other codes lurking in yeah, there. Yeah, there might be you other know. codes. That'd be smart. Also, by the way, the code word was Sputnik, which I feel like is not specific enough. No, I had that same thought. I was like, so if he's just watching PBS... Like he's going to be knocked out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. He can never watch any like space documentaries. <laughs> he's just yeah. got misdiagnosed with narcolepsy. The MCU definitely did that way, way better by having it like a whole string of. Yeah. A string like, of code words. words. Anyways. So Becky wants to be examined to make sure he's free of all that programming. And he wants Captain America to not have to answer to anyone at S.H.I.E.L.D. Tony says he can work with that. And that's where we end it. We leave off. I'm going to at least talk about the cover to the next one because the next cover is pretty iconic it's bucky in the captain america suit but he also has a a gun there at his side yeah so i i really like the the bucky captain america suit i i've just always found it really cool yeah it's good so that takes us to the end of issue 33 and what we're covering today next week or next time we're going to uh finish out this run that's uh I think it's all collectively called the death of Captain America, right? Yeah. It's essentially three arcs that make that up. The death of the dream. And get some more drama in comics. Get in comics. I don't know that we get anything quite as ridiculous as like a metal arm taking out three nerds before <laughs> climbing through a ventilation shaft. But. Oh God. I don't know if I want anything else any more than that. I mean, that's, right? that's peak. 
Yeah. Definitely agree. That's like peak comics absurdity. It's just so silly. Uh, what do you guys, what are your general thoughts of like this, this run that we just read? Big takeaways. You love it? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, it's no secret. I'm a fan of the winter soldier and I love this kind of deeper dive into Bucky and his psyche and what's going on with him. I find it really interesting and compelling. One of the things I think is interesting, particularly because I think, especially in the MCU, there's so much made out of the idea that like Steve Rogers doesn't like bullies, right? Like he's always going to stand up to a bully. Um, But throughout this run, there's kind of this idea that Bucky is kind of a bully, right? Like that's kind of who he is as a kid when Captain America finds him and takes him under his wing. And we see little glimpses of it here too. Um, Kind of some name calling that he does at different Mm -hmm. times. (laughs) And uh, this idea, I mean, Faustus at one point talks about like he has a mean streak in him that Mm -hmm. he thinks he can work with and use to help control him. Um, So I just, I find that really interesting, I guess, that Captain America's uh, best friend is this guy who is sort of fighting his inner demons a lot of the time, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it works too, because you have, it would be boring if Bucky was just another Cap, you know, like having that that inverse, like they're both good people, but they, they go about things differently. Like they, they see the world differently. They um, solve problems differently. One might use diplomacy. The other one might just, you know, beat the living crap out of you. Right. Well, and I think it's this idea that Captain America's or Steve Rogers is like a person who is good at heart. Right. Yeah. And Bucky is a person who has to try to be good. Yeah. It's a nice like little foil there. To have that, you know, because you see, it doesn't, it just doesn't come as easily to other people as it does to Steve. Yeah. I like that. And I like not to spoil too much, but you know, the upcoming, whatever, the next eight or nine issues that we're going to cover, like delves even deeper into Bucky's psyche as he's doing that. And I, I really enjoy that a lot as well. So for me, it's kind of hard to separate it out from, because it is kind of one big arc. Yeah, the whole thing. This this first half is right. almost more set up to me that the second half will pay off. Mm-hmm. But it's good. How do you guys compare the, the comic version of Bucky and the Winter Soldier to the MCU version? And which version do you think is better? I don't know if I'm exposed to enough of the comic version to really say. But the MCU version I like a lot. Mm-hmm. He's really good, really interesting. Um, I'm not sure if he has quite the mean streak that we're talking about, just talking about that Bucky has in the comics, Mm -hmm. which I think is more interesting, but he's still a really good character in the MCU. One of my favorites. Yeah, I, I enjoy them both. I mean, they're different, but I think part of that is also just that they needed Bucky to not be Captain America's weird child sidekick. (laughs) <laughs> in the MCU. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're different, but I enjoy both pretty equally, I think. Yeah. I was I almost brought this up in my Civil War deep dive, but I think it was a much 
better decision in the movie version to yes. have Bucky be Cap's motivation there. Yeah, it yeah. works like, so much better. Makes yeah, so much sense. It, it and, makes so much more sense. Right. Well, and I was sort of thinking whenever you were talking about it, like I enjoy the Civil War run in the comics, mm -hmm. but the Civil War movie is one of my top five Marvel films. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and it might be the Marvel movie I've rewatched the most. It's honestly. so good. Uh, I love it. And so, yeah, I think it's more compelling than the comic actually, and does a much better job of making you really understand both sides. Uh, yeah, even though I think you're definitely. supposed to side with Cap, sort of, you understand completely where Tony is coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, even though I'm a big Winter Soldier fan and a Bucky apologist, um, Bucky. when Tony says in the movie, you know, he killed my mom. It's like, yeah. yeah, you're right. If that guy had killed my mom, I would want him to be dead too, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, I think that something the comics just, like we talked about this twice now, I think, but it's, they, they utterly fail at making Tony Stark like any kind of, of sympathetic character in yeah. civil war. Like he is a douchebag from the beginning to the end. Um, and there's no way the fans are ever going to side with him. It's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So actually like my weird, my weird theory on this is that, uh, the, the writer of civil war, his name is Mark Millar. Mm -hmm. My theory is that like, he was so sold that the pro registration side just like made the most logical sense mm -hmm. that he felt like he had to go the other way and make them like overreach to have people on cap side. Does that mm. make sense? Like, yeah, he's like, Oh, like obviously it's logical that we should re be registering all these superheroes. So how do we make that side less appealing? But it like audiences didn't see that way, that way for one. And then two, he, he goes like comically overboard the other way to yeah. with Tony Stark being a total douchebag. Like he said the whole time. Well, and then he's very entitled about like reading through civil war. He's very entitled about why, he's doing it and like how he's right and cap is wrong. And these, you know, they're criminals now. And it, it's yeah. just, it just, it's just a bad look for Tony Stark. Um, and like Sheridan said, the, the movie does so much better of a job of like, you never hate Tony for wanting revenge and, you know, being yeah. upset at all this happening. Like it makes sense. Hmm. Agreed. I definitely feel like the movie, Pulled the best parts of the Civil War storyline. Yeah. Grafted it together with like the Winter Soldier stuff they were, they were telling and yeah. just made it great. Well, and you, cause you, you feel for Tony part. on two different levels. Like he does feel bad because his whole arc is going from like being a narcissist to being like altruistic. And so he's right in the middle of that when the Sokovia stuff happens and he finds out like, oh, we killed a lot of people just trying to help. And that's what he's been trying to get away from this whole time is you know, getting away from his history of unintentionally hurting people, or I guess you could say maybe intentionally hurting them with selling weapons. But um, yes, like, can you unintentionally hurt people by manufacturing bombs? <laughs> by being a warlord. Maybe getting away from his history of collateral damage. Yeah, that's a better I'm way sure. of saying it. And that's, you know, so you understand it's, it's just beautifully written. Like it, it sets itself up so perfectly for you to be like, yeah, I get why Tony feels bad about this and wants to agree with these, mm -hmm. you know, Sokovia Accords. Um, but then they, they just like flawlessly splice in the whole winter soldier stuff. And it's just, ah, it's so good. 
It's so good. I love it. As a random side note, a thing I find really amusing throughout this series is that everyone refers to Bucky as kid. The kid. <laughs> Even though he has definitely aged into his 30s by this point. Yeah. yeah. He, he does not look like a child. Uh, <laughs> but everyone calls him this. Like, Fury calls him kid, which, okay, like, that makes sense to me. Where's the kid? But also, Tony... Sam Crossbones, like everyone in the series refers to refers yeah. to Bucky as kid. And I just find it very funny. I guess like once a child sidekick, always a child sidekick. But even so the artist for this this whole um arc draws everybody, all the men are just so strong jawed, like broad shouldered, like older looking men. They all look like they're in yeah, their like 40s. Look 40. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely looks funny. like everybody does. The women look sultry, and the men look like John Ham. Like it's just a bunch of John Hams running around, like the whole, the whole arc. You say that like it's a bad thing. No, it's not. They're just. It's just. I mean, it's peak strong jawed superhero. So, Sheridan, I see your note here about um, Dum Dum Dugan and the thing at the wake. Yes, I have a question about this. In uh, issue twenty six, when they're at the bar, mm-hmm. uh, when Sharon and Sam are first talking. There's this moment where she looks over and she sees Dugan talking to the thing and she yells at him. Yes. And Dugan's response is, what? I was just talking to the guy. Yes. Like, there's clearly a story here, but I don't know what it is. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I, I had to go on the internet to figure this out because I was also very confused by this. And I had to I literally- I and found nothing. Well, so. I had, no, I had to go to, I had to post a screenshot of that panel and the panel before it and the panel after it. Um, and ask on a Marvel forum, like, what is this? And one, I got told you're a moron. This is obvious, um, by lots of people. They were really mean. Um, and two, after I read it, I was like, oh, this is super obvious. (laughs) So what it is, is they're not talking about the thing at all. The thing is just there. What they should have done. It's drawn poorly. They should have had Dugan just sitting next to someone. Um, because what it's referring to is Sam walks up and says, I heard that you were retiring from S.H.I.E.L.D. And the only person that she had told this, we're supposed to gather from the way this is written, is Dugan. And then he had told Sam. And so, like, she's yelling at Dugan because, like, Sam says, oh, I heard you're retiring. And then she looks at Dugan and says, Dugan! And then he says, what? I was just talking to him. Okay, that does not make sense no. with how it's drawn. <laughs> it, it's drawn so poorly, and it's... I mean, it makes sense, like, in the... like yeah. in. The way it plays out, but yeah, it's drawn in a way that doesn't lend itself to understanding that at all. I mean, it still doesn't well, come much more boring than super I was thinking. Well dialogue, but yeah, but uh, Marvel nerds on forums are mean, and they were like, "How do you not understand this? Are you stupid?" And I was like, "It no, it doesn't. It's drawn poorly. I don't. It doesn't make any sense." Mm-hmm. I had one very nice person that was that actually did explain it in like context and stuff, and I was like, "Thank you. You're the only one who said something nice here." Well, that'll do us for this week. Join us next time as we read. Captain America, number 34 to 44. You can find us on Instagram at Amateurs Assemble Pod, on Twitter at The Assemble Pod, and you can send in questions and comments to amateursassemblepod at gmail.com. You can also find us on uh, iTunes and Google Podcasts and Stitcher. At the time that this comes out, uh, we should be good on those. We were having a little bit of issues early on with getting verified by Google and iTunes for some reason, which is its own thing. Uh, But by the time this episode comes out, we should be on all aggregates from iTunes and Google. 
so we should be good to go. Uh, you can find us always at BlackMesaRadio.com along with our other shows like Mobs Who Wine, Black Mesa Radio, uh, Storm Season, stuff like that. And yeah, just give us uh, some likes on the Google Podcast app and give us some reviews and stars on iTunes. That would be great. That helps us aggregate to more people. And we would appreciate it because we love you and we want to reach bigger audiences. Because that's what we're here to do. So what we're here to do is to make money, not to have fun with comic books. We want sponsors. We're not making any money. (laughs) No, we're not. (laughs) Until then, see you next time when we might have an outro. Amateurs disperse. Bye. This is our unofficial model.